Matthew Burke, welcome, man. Hey, man. Great to be here. How are you? All right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Q&A today. Look at that. <laughs> right? You look exactly the same too, my man. Thanks, um, man. Proud to so, have you here. You know, I know you really well, but, you know, I don't think the audience that's going to watch this knows you pretty well. Right. If you don't mind giving a little bit of a background of your, like, career, your career highlights, that would be amazing. Sure. So you've some pretty amazing stuff, my man, like Wizards of the Coast and all the other stuff that you've been doing. Like, yeah. If you can run through that. Uh, I've been through the gamut, through some of the big houses, Wizards of the Coast, Nintendo, Xbox, uh, all, but also a few startups. And uh, I've been to Wishes of the Coast three times. Uh, yeah, they and, must really like you. Uh, and I really like them. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's been, those have been the hallmarks of my game career, uh, mostly in the project management and web marketing side. So uh, most recently I was at Probably Monsters doing, uh, helping run the creative services team and awesome. uh, great experience. Nice, dude. Yeah. Tell me, tell me more about your like illustrious career. Like, how did you even end up at Wizards of the Coast in the first place? <laughs> really unusual. <laughs> uh, there is no wrong way to get in the game industry, and I'm here to prove it. Right. Uh, so back in 1991, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I know, God, Stone Age, back before there was internet, kids. So uh, I, uh, this role-playing game came out called Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, mm. This is paper, paper and pencil. You know, this is, uh, and it's where it was, it really changed the industry because which was totally owned by Dungeons and Dragons or TSR at the time, the company that ran it. Right. Here you can play vampires. Modern day, you're hunting humans. You're part of a secret society called the Camarilla. And there are different clans of vampires within that society. And there are other societies as well. So I bought it, loved it, played it to death. What is the one pain point about role-playing games before the internet, finding someone to play with? Um, I've long believed. True story. Uh, yeah, man. So, but I've long believed in, and before, even before that game came out, entertainment seekers, including me, I wanna be more than just an observer or a participant, I'd love to try to be a citizen of that brand or that world. Imagine that the world is actually on 24 seven. So I created this, I wrote to White Wolf Game Studio who produced the game and said, I wanna create an official fan association for Vampire the Masquerade, but I wanna do more than just you know a membership card. I want to literally create the Camarilla in our world that you, when you, when you join the fan group, you actually have joined the Camarilla. You create a character. You are you have you choose your clan, and they love the idea. Did it? Chapters spread all over the United States. Then we got ten thousand members in twenty three countries. Live action rules came into play so that you could go to your, the chapters in the city, but get together, rent out a place, and actually live action role play their characters. And eventually conventions. I know nerds, but uh, uh, that caught the interest of Wizards of the Coast. Oh, nice. And they said, hey, man, we actually have a trading card game. Our second one after Magic the Gathering is about Vampire the Masquerade. And we think you'd be perfect helping run that show. So they hired me and I ran that show and helped design expansion sets. And uh, that's what began my game career. Nice. That's amazing. A really unusual. 
<laughs> that's a so all the way really bad all the way back in 91 91 dude wow. yeah you're like probably like 11 or 12 probably pretty so, much man i don't even <laughs> <laughs> I, amazing, dude. I, I just remember meeting you when i was at atari and i was like this is the nicest guy ever like coming up to i think we went up to the like we went up to you guys right like up to yeah. Seattle, and we were like hey what's up i can't remember yeah. what we were like trying to do a deal with was it Roller coaster tycoon or something like that. We were doing a deal with like Atari and Wizards of the Coast. I can't remember. Oh no, what you know, we yeah. had we had a license from you guys to Dungeons and Dragons to create that game on our side. That's right. Mm-hmm. I totally right. it's been a while. So yeah, it's been a while. So you guys were making a few different titles. Yeah, I remember we that. Were, we, were, yeah. We, were, we were like getting rid of our own IP, and then you know, we already had a license with you guys to make yeah. um that game. And it was like, man, this is a this is a cool. What a cool scenario. Yet we were like selling all of our IP off at that moment. Like mm-hmm. I believe Atari actually at one time owned Mortal Kombat and we sold it. Did for, you? Yeah. And we sold it for like crazy cheap before my time. Activision like took it over and like knocked it out of the park. It's like a billions of dollar franchise. Like, <laughs> that was insane. Yeah. It was yeah. Game too. But man, that was those were the days of like definitely flying up and hanging out with you guys for a couple of days while we like worked out that that licensing deal was pretty cool. So that, yeah, great. so, so you went to wizards of the coast because of your vampire game, vampire game. Right. How long were you there at, at wizards of the coast at uh, that point? The first time I was there for three years and yeah, then I moved on to Nintendo. After Ooh, that. I wouldn't have moved. What are you kidding me? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would love to have worked at Nintendo. What were you doing? What were you working on in Nintendo? Because I'm just like super, I'm like literally super jealous right now. <laughs> uh, so I got picked up to do, I, I learned a lot of web marketing at Witches of the Coast. Sure. And I got picked up to do web marketing for Nintendo. Nice. Uh, so I was, I was producing a lot of their uh, first party and uh, some of their third party websites. Um, everything, but my I was mostly working on websites for Metroid and oh, uh, some of the, yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> I got a funny story. So there, when the Wii was announced in the office, yeah, uh, I walked in and I said, "What? What? What's going on?" Everyone's got a sad face, and we just got the name of the new console. Well, what's what is it? It's Wii. <laughs> Wait, what? No, W I I. And then someone down. The hallway, or a few people down the hallway are going, <laughs> literally realized that was a brilliant name. It was. And it started a whole new generation of consoles and it made a major influence in how games are designed and thought of and made. So, yeah, that was a, more. that was, that game system blew my mind. It was so good. Yeah, amazing. Well, you know what? You know what it actually did? I remember this and I remember the stats around it. Like it was really hard to find other people to play that mm-hmm. system with. So I think the average time before someone who bought the Wii was like eight minutes or nine minutes before they literally set it down and never played it again mm-hmm. because they didn't have anybody to play it with. So the Wii was like a commercial success, but it also was, hey, it didn't really like, even I didn't use it that often because I didn't have that many people to play with, right? It was like, you couldn't do really single player mode. It got bored really fast, boring really fast. And yeah, it, it did. Such a novelty though when it came out. I was we were there was literally like we had wee parties. Like people would just come over and like drink, mm-hmm. play tennis, and go bowling with each other, and do the soccer headballing thing. And you know what I mean? Like all the all the fun stuff, the jump rope, the ski jump, right? You know the yeah. wee was the wee was the jam, man. I just can't was, believe it didn't last. 
Yeah, it's too bad. It had such a strong start, and then you began to see it slowly tail off. Uh, but they were smart. They were smart enough. Nintendo's. <laughs> They always have a lot of cards up their sleeve. Uh, they had the Nintendo DS come out, and they had, all of a sudden you have a one-two punch, and yes. you have this amazing handheld system that graduated. You know that I'm sorry, not graduated, but um, what I'm looking for is it, it was a successor to the Game Boy and then some. Uh, at first, when I saw it, I was not sure what to make of it. I said, like, "Okay, what kind of games could we possibly produce out of this?" But I had complete faith in. Uh, the you know, offices in Japan and our third-party publishers to come up with some amazing uh, games, and they did. And Nintendo, you know, the, the DS is was was phenomenal. And uh, I have like fifty different games I played on that. And I kept, loved, adored. I was more of an N sixty four guy. I don't think I ever played a Nintendo DS game once. Really? Yeah, it's not. You great. have lost out. <laughs> I played Wii more than I played uh, Nintendo DS, which is not saying very much because, uh, you know, the Wii was, again, had that like eight or nine minute shelf life before no one ever picked it up again. Mm -hmm. N64, though, man, how did you guys think about it? Like, were you guys ever talking about the N64 when you were there or was it more like, oh, that's old hats now? Who cares? The N64 had been discontinued and I was in the midst of the GameCube era. Oh, I remember the GameCube. Yeah, yeah. We even yeah. played that at least once or twice, and I was like, "Oh, it's not very good." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, that was a, that was a rough era for uh, Nintendo, but they soldiered through it. Uh, they they come out with some really great titles, but it just didn't capture the market share that they want or hoping for. PlayStation and Xbox had really muscled in and uh, were extremely impressive with their current the consoles of that era. Yeah, I have to admit, PlayStation was doing pretty good too. Yeah, PlayStation uh, one and two, even though two didn't get as much like love, there was still a bunch of good games for for PlayStation two. Uh, but as soon as you had the internet, right? Like, sure. uh, you know, um, what's it called? Counter Strike. Like mm -hmm. as soon as I, my first taste of like playing against somebody that wasn't in the room was Counter Strike and oh, yeah. Unreal Tournament two. Oh mm -hmm. my gosh! Like that's blew my mind counter-strike i was like i can't believe i can play against other people that are not in the room with me like it's still yeah. to this day it still blows my mind a little bit I'm like what a change but then like playstation 3 came out i took like a break i was doing because we were we used to have like this game night at my brother's house in in mystic connecticut it was like we would play n64 goldeneye of course oh and brilliant yeah Love we would play game. goldeneye every tuesday night mm -hmm. for years it was mm -hmm. like it was called bond night and right after, like, that was literally the last time I played video games it was like, oh, three. And then I stopped for a, a really long time. I stopped playing games until, I wouldn't say a really long time, but a big window. Whereas I think it was like, oh, three to, was it oh, eight? I think it was like either oh, eight or oh, nine. It was PlayStation three and it was like Call of Duty, like Modern Warfare two and then Black Ops yeah. blew my mind. It was so good. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, those were the games. So I literally, I don't know what happened in between in terms of game systems. Oh, I did play the Wii. I got to say, I, I played the Wii here and there, but not not, not as much as I played. I mean, dude, I, I lost like months of my life. Easily, like months oh. of on PlayStation 3 playing Call of Duty. Like, it was crazy. Absolutely, so did I. And I have lost friends to video games. <laughs> uh, so I've lost more than time. When EverQuest came out... <laughs> Oh. That was it. I lost so many friends. Like, where are they now? <laughs> Currently residing in the where are they now pile. So, 
Hey, I have a quick question for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really curious about your perspective on something, and you're the only person I've talked to about this. Hit me. So I'm, gonna, I'm a huge James Bond fan. I'm oh. a huge GoldenEye fan. Same. It's been fascinating to watch the uh, evolution of this brand um, in video games, which has really had a tough time, but obviously in you know filmed entertainment. Right. They're at an interesting crossroads right now. What do you do after Daniel Craig? And what, if you were in control of that brand, Lucas, what would you do? That's a tough choice. I mean, Adris Elba was supposed to be the next James Bond. I remember that was being floated around. Yep. That would have been a good fit. I think I mean, so. He's an amazing actor and he's got that swag about him, dude. Like he would have made a really good James Bond. Mm -hmm. So that's what, I think that's what's going to happen next is it's either going to be a female or it's going to be a person of color for you sure. Yeah. And I, like I said, I think, I think Adris Elba would be such a good fit. I don't know how old he is. Like, and there's, there's like an age limit of like, Hey, what can he do at his age? Cause he's in, I'm sure he's in his fifties. Sure. So I think, you know, I think Daniel Craig started James to be a James Bond, like mm -hmm. in his late thirties or yeah. like literally just, Oh, was it late, late thirties? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think you need to be a little bit younger to be able to like maintain the franchise. You know what I mean? Like you got to, you got to have some longevity because if you're going to be a James Bond, you can't just be, um, what was that James Bond that only lasted like one or two James Bonds? Um, oh, Timothy was, Dalton. Yes, to me. And he was great, by the way. I love him. Awesome. I thought he was one of the best James Bonds ever. Like everybody's mm -hmm. like, oh, Timothy Dalton's not good. I'm like, yeah, he was. He was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think all of the James Bonds, actually. I can't, I can't think of a James Bond that wasn't good. Like, what was that guy's name? Oh, yeah. Roger Moore was amazing also. Like, that's... That's the James Bond I grew up with was Roger Moore in like the like the eighties when I first saw James Bond as a kid, like mm -hmm. really young kid. I'm like, whoa, this guy's cool. <laughs> yeah, I was. He was my James Bond too, and he was yeah. right for that era with a with a sliver of humor. Um, yeah, everything was a little hyper realistic. Yeah, and uh, you know, then they doubled down on that with the um, what's his name who was who's before Daniel Craig. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm sorry because he, 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 he was the golden eye guy you're talking about. Yeah, the golden eye guy. Yeah. I can't I honestly cannot remember yet. He <laughs> was, <laughs> but he's brilliant. He's, a, he's, he's a, such a good actor. He was yeah. such a good James Bond, also. Yeah. I heard a lot of mixed reviews on him being a James Bond, and I was like, what? He was great. Yeah, brilliant. Golden eye. Yeah. He did uh tomorrow. I think tomorrow never dies. Like yeah. he did a bunch of them, dude. He did like three or four. He was great. There was yeah. definitely he was older though. I think he was not in his thirties. I think he was in his forties. I think so way, If I would, if yeah. I was going to do James Bond, I would definitely do what we should do with a, with a president of the United States nowadays. We should like get somebody in there. That's like late thirties, early forties, <laughs> you know, change, change the paradigm so that there's not like someone that's like a hundred years old in office. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I think that would be an interesting scenario. And I just don't know. I can't think of any, like I'm trying to think of a, a a live action star, you know, that's nah, too late for him, but you know, who would, would have made a good James Bond. I would think Tom Cruise, actually, he wouldn't have been bad. It would have been bad if he could support a British accent. Uh, oh, yeah, I think he'd right. have a tough time with that. I hate that's Whereas right. Henry Cavill. He was the number two guy uh, after uh, Daniel Craig. He, he, was, yeah. he almost got the role. And if he was just a little younger now, I think that he'd be. You think that's why he didn't, you think that's why he didn't get it? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I could have qualified. There's like, um, who, who would really qualify? I don't know. That's a tough one, man. That is, 
that would be really tough. I, I can't think of anybody. Maybe there, there was a guy in Star Wars, the newer Star Wars, the mm -hmm. guy that was like the, the um, stormtrooper that defected and stuff like that. He would make oh, it. Yeah. But he doesn't have an English accent, like you said. You need to have an English accent. Oh, right? he does. He's British. He's, uh, he's from Africa, but um, I think he's from um, Nigeria. Oh, cool. He's got a British accent? I yeah, he's got know. a British accent. I did not know that. Well, that would have been from Lagos, but um, that yeah. makes it, that's a good fit. Plus, he'd add yeah. a little comic relief. Yeah. So he might not have the swag like the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the James Bonds, right? Yeah, he, coached. he could be easily be coached to have a yeah. little swag, a little charisma. If you know what I mean? Yeah, cool. That'd be a good fit. And I think yeah. there's, a, there's a bunch of other ones too. There's like that guy that played. Um, wow, what was it? Venom. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy yeah. would make a good James Bond. Mm -hmm. He's already an action star, stuff like mm -hmm. that. So he has the English accent down. Um, there's another dude, what's his name? Also, that did like shoot, I can't remember the name of him. But anyway, he was he was in like, you know, the White House gets attacked, and it's like some White House down. Right. Olympus has fallen. Yeah, that's the one. London has fallen. Whatever that guy's Everything name. has fallen. Yeah. <laughs> also yeah. got a unique um, I think he has like a Welsh accent, but either way, like he's got an English, Englishy accent. So yeah, that would fit. So I think I would do that and promote the heck out of it because there's like a big, like whoever has the biggest fans out there, I would go after them. Even an Aussie accent could get away with it. Let's be honest. Most Americans sure. don't know the difference. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. good times, man. Awesome. Who about you? Who would you choose? Who would you choose? Uh, I would actually go in a very unique, uh, not a unique direction. I would go in a, uh, a different direction with the James Bond franchise. I would expand it to double different double O's. Let's make Ooh. this future story world. Double O seven's one. That's brilliant. Just Elba is 009, you know, and then make a whole film like a, he's a totally different kind of agent. Marvel, the Marvel kind of like yeah, that yeah, it could be integrated. Yeah, yeah it's it's, it's goes into smart. story worlds, what I know, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. That but, is really smart, dude. I didn't even think that way of that that franchise, but that would definitely be smart because if you start rolling in like 001 or 002 mm -hmm. and all that stuff, like you right. can make it so that these guys, you know, you can kill them off and then like have new ones replace them. So yeah. the franchise would live on forever, basically. Absolutely. Oh. Um, and is there, I, I'm a little torn about villain-centric films and entertainment. Right. But is there something, is there a story behind Blofeld that you can make a whole film about? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, or is that just, you know, is it is it just unnecessary? And it's just, okay, well, you know, when you expand a franchise too much, it's like you're just hungry for dollars and you're not, providing the level of content that the, this brand demands. Right. It's, uh, it's a real catch 22. That's um, fair because isn't Disney like um, messing around with that right now saying, look, we, we overdid the star Wars. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like this, this family tree of like what kind of like spinoffs there were. And they're like, you know, I think, wasn't it Bob Iger that came back on and was like, Hey, we can't, we can't keep doing this. We're destroying the brand of star Wars. So like, because we have too many star Wars, like, stories going off of the main story and it, and now it's diluting it and like kind of like like diluting the brand right so absolutely uh yeah you're correct bob Iger came forward after the failure of the han solo film and said i think we're being too aggressive trying to bring out too many at once we need to take a step back and uh really liked han solo though by the way it was I did too, actually yeah. was that guy's a good actor i was i was pleasantly surprised that that younger dude that looked just like you know uh Han Solo, like he looked just like him when he was younger. So mm -hmm. I actually think that was a good fit. And he played the role really well. He had enough like charisma and swag. Like he pulled it off. He easily could be 
you know, a Harrison Ford to me at least. So sure. Aaron Ironreich, he's a great actor. He had a lot going against him. Uh but he I thought he did a great job. And yeah. I thought the script was pretty sharp. Yeah, I agree. That was I, I watched that movie probably at least ten times. So I, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, so have I. I hope they do something else with Han Solo in the future. Uh, and that gets me to, you know, not to go too deep in the rabbit hole about Star Wars, but I think the greatest um, uh, mistake that the sequels made was they didn't get the Fab Four back together. And I say four because Chewbacca's one of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I agree. So, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So with the, so after, so you're at Wizards of the Coast, then you're, then you're over at Nintendo. Yep. Then you worked at Sega. No, I was kidding. I'm just making that up. So <laughs> where'd you go after, where'd you go? What was your big, like, what was the thing that you found most interesting at Nintendo? Because I always, I, I didn't know I wanted to work there until mm -hmm. after I worked at Atari. I was like, man, that would have been super cool to work at Nintendo. Now that I've worked at Atari and saw the internal workings of like Atari and how it all like, you know, traveling across like up the Los Gatos and meeting with like all the, the entire Atari team across everywhere. I was like, man, like Nintendo must have their, you know what I mean? Like it must be yeah. 10, times, 10 or 20 times cooler because it's like my childhood was built on Nintendo. Not, a, you know what I mean? I'm not old mm -hmm. enough to Atari. Like the, my childhood was Atari. Like by the time I was a kid, I was, we were playing Nintendo and then like Atari came out, the 2600 re got like re entered, like, Hey, you can go buy an Atari now for like 30 bucks. And like people were like, who wants an Atari, dude? That's like old, <laughs> that's like old hats. Like, what do we we have Nintendo and Super Nintendo and stuff like that? They were like, what do we want this like $30 Atari 2600 for? Yeah. And it was fun, man. I like the Atari 2600, but I have to admit, once you go Nintendo and like you're playing Excite Bike or you're playing like a really you know, even gyromite, I would take over, or Duck Hunt, sure. or like, you know, just Super Mario Brothers or Mario Brothers, like. Dude, when I first learned how to super speed in mm -hmm. Mario Brothers, like I didn't even know that existed. I was at my friend's house and I was like, how did you jump over that thing? I've always fall down that pit that was a little bit wider, right? It's like the first level, it's right. a little wider. I'm yeah. like, what do you do? He's like, oh, you just push, just hold this button now and you have super speed. I was like, super speed. <laughs> Changed my whole, whole paradigm shift. I was like, what? Super speed? Oh, yeah. So that's cool. So what was your... So when you were at Nintendo, what was like the big, like, what were people talking about the most besides Wii? Like, what was the big, was there like a big game that everybody was like, oh, it's like our best game. It's like talking about like Apple when you're at Apple, let's say we were at, like, let's pretend we were at Apple. The Apple IIe was like the big, you know, that was the, you know, the one that made all the revenue for like Apple in the eighties. Sure. What was sure. that? What was that for Nintendo in like the late nineties, early two thousands? Zelda. <laughs> nice. I love uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Super Smash Brothers. Oh, I love so, that game also. Oh yeah, God. Uh, when Smash I was, <laughs> yeah, so many amazing, so many amazing memories. Super Smash Brothers and Zelda. Like Zelda was my, was my game. I remember. Oh my God, I remember beating Super Nintendo Zelda in like I think it was like exactly nine days it took me to beat the entire game. Really? And I was just so happy, dude. Like, yeah, it was the nineties. So great. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, you were saying, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's, no, uh, we had uh, Zelda, uh, Zelda, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess that was on the way, and everyone was really excited about it because this was going to be a slightly more mature version of Link that, yeah. and the setting that people really hadn't seen before, 
I met E3, and we uh, at our press at our briefing uh, presented the first trailer for Twilight Princess, and there were grown-ups crying at the end, and yeah. we looked at each other and said, "This is going to be huge," and uh, it was. Uh, so it, that's what we were talking about that game nonstop. And then, of course, Super Smash Brothers is just one of those fantastic banner titles that you just never get bored of. There's, it's always fun to play with friends. And that brings us to, you know, one of the things, great things about Nintendo, and I'm not trying to advertise for them, but, but, but it was true when I went there when they said, our mission is to put smiles on people's faces. That's what we're in the business of. We happen to make games. Perfect. <laughs> so, and they do a great job of that. Yeah, I was going to say Nintendo literally was my babysitter growing up. Like, oh, yeah. It was just, we played nonstop all the time Super Nintendo, N64, every Nintendo there was, we, everything. We just we grew up. I mean, we grew up with that stuff. So it's like, man, that lasted forever. Man, Nintendo, yeah. did a great job of putting smiles on people's faces. Oh, oh. man, for sure. Hey, you ever played uh, Mario Super Strikers uh, there? Of course. I uh, wanted to throw the console through the TV. <laughs> I had friends who were so good at it, and I thought I was good. No, I didn't know anything. That's and there were moments when I never played this game again. Oh, I've said that a thousand times. People don't even know the hardship of Nintendo Thumb, my man. Oh, like, that was a thing. I remember, yeah. like, literally having to, like, sit out playing Nintendo for like a week while my thumb healed from playing Nintendo too much. Like that is a thing. And people don't even know what that means now because right. the controllers are so comfortable now. Like the other ones were like, you know, little blocks, right? Even with uh, any of the pads, like except for N64, that's when shit changed, right? There, the N64 controller, I think that was the, that was the era of the new multi-thing, you might basically multi-thing controller. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it had like, multiple handles it had this the the whirly thing the six yep. yeah it had the and buttons it had the whirlies it had the at the top you can go left and right once you mastered that you were unstoppable but let me tell you that's a lot of buttons you might as well be a fighter pilot at that moment <laughs> yeah just to turn the thing on you're like all right let's go <laughs> yeah the uh when the first xbox came out the uh the controller was so big yeah that kids had a tough time holding on to it there's a brand and so they're going what the hell is this <laughs> you know, and so uh, they had to, you know, go back to uh, the drawing board a little bit, refactor right? those, those controllers, right? So, yeah. interesting times. Yeah, they modeled uh, the the uh, PlayStation was smart. They kept the exact same controller configuration. Yeah, PlayStation One all the way to. I don't even know about PlayStation Four because I never played, but I think it was the same type of controller all the way through. Mm -hmm. They didn't change it, and that was brilliant because. Yeah. There's no pioneering cost when you don't change the controller. Like if people are going to play your game, your, your system, right? Mm -hmm. If you are used to the controller of PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, and you keep that same controller configuration and don't add bells and whistles to it, people already know how to use it, right? The pioneering 100%. cost is zero. And if you change the controller, like I said, when, when Xbox first came out, that thing was a mess. Like what yeah. were they thinking? That was just like this brick you're holding onto. You're like, oh, here's the oh. controller. PlayStation was like, here's the controller. This was the other one. It's like, here's the controller. It's like this brick in your hand. And it's like, yeah. it made no sense to me. No, me either. Uh, but they fixed it, you know, and you're right. Uh, PlayStation, their controllers, really well designed. Very little change. 
Smart. What, what kind of experience you're about to have, and also the button configuration uh, in terms of what you know the, um, the four the four main buttons do. Um, it hasn't really changed that much, so you know when you're going to be shooting. You know, it's going to be pressing the trigger button, or the you know in the case of Xbox, the A button always does a certain thing. I'm, I'm yeah. an Xbox player. I'm a, uh, I'm, a, I'm a PlayStation guy, okay. and the reason why, well, obviously because I worked at Sony, but it was a it was oh, also, yeah. it was also because. PlayStation Network was free for the longest time. So you didn't have sure. to pay for the membership. And I was all about not paying for a membership. PlayStation, <laughs> <laughs> it was so awesome. It was, uh, yeah, man, I really, I, I just remember hitting the invert controller button. So when you look up, it actually, you know what I mean? It like controlled the right way and stuff. Sure. Great. I mean, I know I sound ridiculous, like, and then you press the A button. And no, it what are you talking about? Like, it's the way you, <laughs> you got to invert the controller. Otherwise, I would not be able to play the game. Like, everybody, right. why aren't you playing? I'm like, I got to, I got to set, I got to set this controller right. It's got to be inverted. So, mm -hmm. try this because I'm, I'm also, I'm a lefty. So, are you? Yeah. Yep. The left coast is the best coast. So, um, great. so tell me more, man. Tell me about, so after Nintendo, where, where did you go back to Wizards of the Coast? Uh, I did actually. Uh, my job was being moved at Nintendo to New York. And I asked my wife, hey, you want to go to New what York? do you think about New York City? They're going to pay me this much. I'm like, that's not enough to get a one bedroom apartment. I know. <laughs> so I guess we're not going. Uh, that was the end of that part of my career. But uh, there was an opportunity for a, a web marketing manager at Wishes of the Coast. And I've always wanted to go back. And so I took the opportunity and did the interviews, got the job. And they put me in charge of the redesign of DungeonsandDragons.com. And the challenge was we had a 10,000-page website full of content from the previous third edition of the game, the goal was to raise its brand profile through a redesign of the website that was easier to navigate in, in readiness for fourth edition. Wow. So yeah, you know, I had my crew of uh, developers, architect, designers, um, and um, UI UX, and we made it happen in six months. It was great. Damn, you guys are so, you guys are no joke, huh? No, man, it was uh, you know many long hours, but it was uh, big success. And uh, you know, it's, you might think, oh, it's just a website, but back then, oh, no, <laughs> you know, man, for uh, for a household were, brand, websites yeah. were a nightmare back. Yeah, then. They back were, then. Yeah, you actually had to be a web developer, and now you could like throw Truly. a website with like a no code website builder, like a Squarespace or. Sure. You know, WordPress, even though it's still janky, even after all this time. Mm -hmm. But there's so many website builders now. You can just like throw up a website probably in a day, and it's ready to go, and you're ready, and you're ready to rock. And For sure. Back For in sure. the day, it took months to develop a site and get approval because you had to have all these signatures internally to make it. Like, oh yeah, okay, we got to get everybody's buy-in. And yeah, 100%. Like, this. like the 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 head of legal thinks that the design should be better. It's like. Oh yeah, there okay. were several I'm glad you're having an input on like web design, <laughs> legal, smart. Anyway, yeah, yeah. everybody wanted their input uh, in corporate. That's the interesting part is playing politics to get the feedback and input and stuff like that. It was it was interesting. It actually kind of mm -hmm. kept you on your toes in a good way too, where you're like, you know what? You have so many stakeholders. 
and you kind of like have to listen to them and like make them feel heard. And then sure. they'll move forward with, you know, what you were doing anyway, just, you know, say, here's your change, you know, give them a, you give them like a 10% of what they wanted and they're just, Oh yeah. Okay. There's my mark. They just want to put their mark on it. So hundred percent. But in defense of stakeholders, what I learned, <laughs> I know I can't believe this. I had, uh, I think 12 or 13 stakeholders for this project. What it did, it's having that many became a force multiplier in determining what this site really needs to be. Because you can cut the wheat from the chaff, the good notes from the bad, and out of it, you can find some real nuggets. And it really, it really served us in the end. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, that's, that's definitely true. Like, when you're looking on the outside in, when you're not that person who's like staring at the site and staring at the designs all day. And, you know, obviously in marketing, you're always looking at the site. You're looking at, the, you know, what the copy is, what the images are, all that stuff. When you're married to it so close and then someone from the outside looks in and says, hey, what about that right there? And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even, didn't even see that because I'm just right. so in on this that I, I just don't see the little, sometimes the, the, finite details that are there and like yeah like people's input is like critical even though there's like lots of stakeholders in some of these things like it's really it's actually quite useful also like i actually think it's smart to be humble when it comes to this stuff you might think you know everything but then there's like one or two people that like point something out and you're like wow i'm starting to realize like when i think i know everything i basically it makes me think that i know nothing <laughs> because like oh, sure. things out all the time and it's like wow I didn't, I never would have saw that. It's fascinating. You look at entertainment products throughout history and how it really truly, and this sounds didactic, but it, it really truly takes a village to make a great key product, no matter what. And I know that your listeners are saying, well, no, duh. But, um, <laughs> no, it, they, people, people won't know that. There's so many people I know that want to just do it themselves. Their own, like basically it's their design, their look and feel. They don't really want the feedback. That's their mistake. Yeah, that was mistake. They don't sure. want the feedback of like ten or fourteen or twenty people that's on the team. That's like, oh, what about this? What about that? Like, that's. I agree with you. Like, there's you get so much value, no matter how much it feels like hurting cats. Sure. So much value you get at the end of the day, right? Even if it's five percent, gets fixed from the one hundred percent of the site and five percent gets fixed because somebody else's eyes were on it. That's enough to make it worth it right there. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh I say hundred percent a lot. It's kind of my thing. That's my thing too. Uh, I said it's like true story. <laughs> so, so the uh you know that gets into the you know a larger discussion about the magic of process and workflow. Some people, especially in the game industry, that is a word that is hated and must be hunted and destroyed. Uh, <laughs> process, we don't do that here. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> we make I magic love happen. I love that. <laughs> my middle name, if I could if I could have it, it would be process, no joke. Like, Me I, too. I can't stand when people like just willy-nilly go at it without like some process or system that's in place. Mm -hmm. You know, like a standard, I, I don't think you should have like, this is how we, this is how it's always been done. So that's why we're going to do it this way. Like, right. I think that's, that's short-sighted, but I think there should always be a process no matter what it is. It's like, here's our SOP. It's the most updated one. Let's follow it so that we check all our boxes, dot all our I's and cross all our T's. So. 100%. I no. love, yeah, I love process. Um, Same. I prefer agile. Uh, 
under the right circumstances with a bit of waterfall mixed in. Or I'll take linear, dude, all day long. I'll take yeah. linear. Oh, yeah. Because it's just, like most people, most people like, especially like for me, I, I like linear just because it's like, okay, what's the next step in this phase? Like you could still do agile, but sure. in a linear way because like someone could still be working on their part of the, of the project. Exactly. And you just, as soon as the linear process gets to them, if they're done already, that's the agile part where it's like, okay, just chuck it in and keep going. You know, just keep going. So I no agree. Yeah, I agree. It's just, uh, agile is what you make of it. You can take pieces of it and, uh, yeah. uh, or you can use all of it or some of it or, you know, just, or none of it, it, obviously, and stick with waterfall and very linear. But uh, yeah. yeah, man, I've had success with both. It just depends on what the culture of the team is. What they're trying to achieve. Anyway, I could talk about process uh, ad nauseum. So, Same. Yeah. Let's not though. <laughs> Let's not though. I don't want to so, bore your listeners. When you were at Wizards, when you when you got back to Wizards, like what was yeah. the? So you you were working on that that original game you were just telling me about. What else, what other stuff that you? What was the? What was your most favorite thing to work on at Wizards? My most favorite thing to work on at Wizards. The reason I'm stopping myself right now is because there are a few different projects that aren't released. My yet. second round there, I, that I had that uh, I was lucky to work on, uh, because I was a web marketing manager. Uh, my job became uh, the business manager for D and D. I was uh, moved over to that, and that was a unique opportunity because it allowed me to start working with you. Yeah, on, on a much more, a much deeper basis, um, and or actually any basis at all. <laughs> but uh, it also allowed me to have those conversations about what we're wanting to do with Dungeons and Dragons as a brand in the future with video games. Now, in middle management, I only have so much to say. Right, uh, I stuck to my guardrails, but um, there was. Uh, one of the things that I worked on that actually got me in some trouble was I wrote a uh, white paper uh, about the opportunity to bring Dungeons and Dragons into more of a transmedia fold where you could productize the entire massive timeline of the Forgotten Realms mm -hmm. uh, setting and wrote it gave it to some of the executives. Um, the mistake I made in my youth was not bringing it to my boss first. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and so he comes to me and says, what is this? Everyone seems to like this, but I haven't seen it yet. Ouch. And he said, look, don't ever write anything like this again, okay? <laughs> and I said, but that's kind of my job. No, 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 not anymore. Oh, so, I learned a deep lesson. Uh, a mentor of mine pulled me aside who worked there and said, "This is a good teachable moment. This is how you this is how you improve your boxing game. Make your boss your partner. Absolutely, make okay. him a co-author of the white paper. Co-author of this, and he could have defended you. Hundred percent. Yep. So that was something that, um, of course, I've taken that and, and um, I've partnered with my boss and the bosses in the in the future. So. Uh, good teachable moment, a bit painful. Still one of the, my most favorite things I ever worked on. <laughs> um, I didn't know you wrote a white paper. That's cool, man. I, yeah, but, you know, so. A pretty big undertaking to write one of those documents. So. Yeah, sure. And but, if everybody uh, likes it too, that means you clearly did it well. So. Yeah. I expect nothing less from you, my friend. Thanks. Appreciate it.
course. But uh, other than that, I got to work on the Star Wars brand. We had the the role playing game and the miniatures. Yeah, and I got to know. Uh, I became a colleague of web presence for our Star Wars products. We had the rights to the role playing game and the miniatures game. So no. I became a colleague of Pablo Hidalgo and the Lucasfilm story team. And wow. he uh, was just a fantastic partner. And we uh, were able to generate a lot of really exciting content for the game that we published on StarWars.com and also on Wizards.com. So that was, uh, you know, it was for me, it was exciting because at the time I was a huge Star Wars fan. Are you, are you trying to say you're not a Star Wars fan anymore? Not as much anymore. What what made you not? Is it because of the new Star Wars? Is it because like what what made you be, like veer away from like Star Wars? Was there like another thing that got your love? Uh, it was something that another thing got my love, but also I began to maybe I'm just not in the market. I'm not I'm not the, not the audience anymore for this. Right. Uh, what really pulled me out of it was the Mandalor Mandalorian season three, and I found it to be toyetic, uh, and then. Boba, the book of Boba Fett. Uh, I was just disappointed. And that's just me. I, the, the beautiful thing about entertainment is that it's subjective. Right. Others loved the book of Boba Fett, perhaps. Kids must have. Kids loved it, I'm sure. They did. And, they talk about yeah. Mandalorian all the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, love, I mean, I loved season one and two of The Mandalorian. Same, same. Season three wasn't my bag. Boba Fett wasn't my bag. However, Andor, top notch. Yeah. 100%. Right. That was really, really good. I agree. I would love to see them do more projects like Andor. Right. Uh, whereas Ahsoka right now, I'm watching it, and it's enjoyable, but more and more I'm beginning to think, okay, yeah, I'm not the I'm not the audience for this this brand anymore, and that's fine. Yeah, that's fair. I, I remember watching Mandalorian. I was really pleasantly surprised by the show. I was like, this isn't going to be any good, and I watched it. I was like, wow. This is really good. And the dude that plays Mandalorian, I know he's like super famous right now. I can't remember his name. He uh, doesn't take, he takes his helmet off like one time. Right. All three seasons. Like, I think it was like the first, was it the first season? He like takes his helmet off and puts it back on. It was yeah. like, for like 10 seconds. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, he's so dreamy. I'm like, his helmet was off the entire first season for 10 whole seconds. And you think like he's dreamy. That could be anybody under in that costume. And it was, it wasn't him. At all, it's no. I thought that was hilarious when I found out it wasn't him and he took yeah. out just that one time. I was like, that makes so much sense that they're just using his voice, it's probably way cheaper. Right? It was, and he's enjoying life just doing voiceover, drinking kombucha in the sound booth, yeah, you know. So he's having a great time. And then, oh, I have to be on set a couple of days just to have my helmet taken off. Great, yeah. that's crazy, right? So, he literally took off his helmet once, at least for season one. That was the case. I don't know about season two, maybe he was there more often. I don't think he took his helmet off, dude. I'm pretty sure I watched that whole season one and two. And I got through a little bit of three, but at the time, like three wasn't all the way out yet. They weren't really yeah. releasing all of it. So I was just like, oh, I'm going to come back when this is done. And I just never went back to it. So, but yeah, man, that Star Wars franchise, I think they're, I thought they were doing pretty good with it. And then like, once I heard, you know, oh, we're, we're kind of like diluting the brand. It kind of made sense though, too. Cause they were like, there's literally a storyline for every character. And I was mm -hmm. like, you guys are making a show for every person in this thing. <laughs> no, we have a good idea. You know, I don't think um, R2-D2 needs a storyline. No, he doesn't. I don't think he has one yet. Not but, yet. Uh, I can tell you. There is some, yeah, they're talking about a droids animated series again, I think. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how that actually comes to fruition or not. 
I am interested in seeing Lando, though. Um, okay. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I think they're making it as a movie instead of a series now. That's, that's the smart. rumor I'm hearing. Smart. Yeah. And the guy who played him as a young man in, um, in Han Solo. I thought he was uh, good. I thought he was good. Fantastic. And he's he and his brother are writing the script. So that's oh, wow. okay. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if that, that works out. So I'm excited for him. It's a great opportunity. Yes. Nice, nice. Yeah, so here I'm saying I hate Star Wars, and now I've got these guys back here. Yeah, I was just gonna say you kind of have like profiles on your wall back there. Nice. I still love it. I you know, yeah, I, know. But I was watching The Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope just this week. Nice. And I wanted to see what is what's going on here. And the takeaway is and this gets into story world development as well and how it evolves and changes. The films of the 70s and 80s, the content was taken very seriously. Very seriously. You know, this was, we're going to pull you into another world that you have never seen before and you're gonna become a participant, but something of a citizen too. You're gonna to be just blown away in your seat and you're gonna feel like you're sitting in the Millennium Falcon. Yep. Um, then I watched Ahsoka's latest episode and I'm like, okay, this is just, it's very much a different world now. And that's fine. Yeah. It's, it's making it into a, a very cartoonish like feel and stuff yep. like that. And I, I definitely agree with you on that one. It's back in the day, it was very serious. You know what I mean? Like Luke Skywalker gets his hand cut off. Like that's no right. joke, man. Like that was a big, when I was a kid and that happened, like obviously I didn't see it in the theater or anything like that. I was too, I was too young, but, when I did see it, I'm like, VHS. Yeah. <laughs> after waiting for like, after waiting for like a year and a half because it was rent, you know, it was already rented by our local <laughs> video store for so long that I was just like, we'll get yeah. it in like a year and a half when no one else wants to watch it anymore. But once we, <laughs> once we finally got it, man, that was such a good movie. But man, it really freaked me out. I was like, ooh, I don't want my hand cut off. Like, ooh, no, no. My hands. Yeah. I'm like, my dad, I'm going to my dad. I'm like, do we, do they have robot hands? like that he's like no no they don't have that <laughs> so please don't cut off your hand yeah, no i didn't buddy, okay? i didn't want that at all i didn't want that at all but i was just it was just curious and when i was a little kid when i saw new hope for the first time there's a Cullen and Amperu's skeletal remains burning oh my god that's right so i remember that. They, yeah and that's when you knew at that moment this is a dangerous galaxy yeah it was it was like it, they tried to make it real. You know what I mean? Like they were like, look, this is another like world that happened hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago in the future right. slash past. Yeah. And it's just it was such a unique take. Like the first Star Wars was so interesting. And yes. you know, people were getting zapped, like just like a wild west. Like they were like tying in the, you know, the the uh, you know what I can't remember the name of the place, but when Luke goes actually finally to that city like to go find someone to bring them off planet. You know what I mean? Like in the, oh, like yeah. in the bar and like people are dying in the bar. Like, like, yeah. Less wisely. And there was like a wild West, right? People are just like, Oh, he drew. So I chopped his arm off or he just yeah. <laughs> like, Whoa. It's brilliant. It really it's excellent. Yeah, it was super good, but they were like, I don't think they would let kids watch that nowadays. Maybe not. I mean, I showed my five-year-old daughter at the time. Yeah. I knew how she she was like fine, perfectly fine with this because oh, oh this is this is intense. Yeah, yeah it it's is. definitely intense compared yeah, to so, yeah. yeah. Uh but again that gets back to they took the content seriously. Yeah. And they didn't patronize children. Yeah. Now they're beginning to patronize children. 
Yeah, I think it, it helped people grow up too a little bit too. Maybe and like, hey, this is this is the world like you live in. Um, yeah. This is what happened back in the 1800s when people didn't like each other, they would be drawn on each other. So they kind of like leveraged the you know cowboy movies into that. So absolutely, and this gets back in a higher level. Story world development is extremely hard. Uh, extremely hard. So and it has to evolve over time. Yep. And what's wonderful is that we still have star Wars content to enjoy and sure. I, it's perfectly fine. If I don't like the, you know, the, some of the shows that are coming out, I can enjoy Jedi survivor, the video game. Um, so there's always something out there for everyone with this brand, which is, yep. makes it great. I agree. And that's what's, that's, what's interesting about the newer star Wars because they actually put in some homages in those the newer Star Wars for adults, and they you know made it just as enjoyable for the kids too. Yeah, but there was there was some like nostalgia, so I, I do I definitely liked how they did that. Yes, they were there's a little bit. Obviously, it's easy to be a you know um, armchair critic over here. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but I think I still think they were. In a, you get a suspend belief and suspend all the you know the realities and be like you know this is just for entertainment so right. I, I i always right. had a hard time when i was a kid i'm like that couldn't happen and uh sure. i was very like real about it I'm like wait a minute that couldn't happen it's like yeah dude it's a it's an entertainment movie it's sci-fi get over it right but i think what helps pull us in to that kind of content where we need to suspend our disbelief is verisimilitude yep we watch Star Wars, but there are elements of it that are familiar to us, like those burning bodies, like the arm getting chopped off, even the construction of the starships yep. and the costumes in the original trilogy. Those are things that are somewhat familiar to us, but at the same time different. Uh, verisimilitude is something that I live and breathe and you know die by <laughs> when it comes to my creative work, and it's extremely important. Uh, in everything I do, uh, I'm like, like I said, on my creative side, but I also think it's, I also think about it a lot and I'm just kind of going off on a tangent here. The concept of verisimilitude in video games. Uh, is, what is, can you explain what that means? So verisimilitude is the, so verisimilitude is the appearance of something being real. It's grounded. It's not hyper-realistic. Right. Uh, it's something where even, you know, Richard Donner, when he did Superman the movie, said very, he had a huge sign over his office door that said verisimilitude to remind him, don't go, don't go overboard with Superman. You have got to believe a man can fly. And, uh, and that's back in the 70s. So, and today, I think that's part of the challenge we're seeing with Marvel, the business, the Marvel business. One, your, your uh, A-list characters are gone. Two, we're supposed to embrace B-list characters who are at a cosmic level above, in some cases, Guardians of the Galaxy. What Guardians of the Galaxy worked because the comedy was so darn good. And I also think some of the, and so we could, we could embrace a talking raccoon. <laughs> um, but what I'm beginning to see in their TV content and in their films is a real lack of verisimilitude. So it's hard to suspend our disbelief. 
and superhero films are hard to disbelief or suspend our disbelief anyway. Right. However, lately I'm beginning to see there are the comic books themselves that deal with like Captain Marvel and some of the more other cosmic characters. I mean, they're really out there. So especially Captain Marvel. Like yeah. what like how do you feel about them introducing that character? Because it's like, like I, I remember someone going, wow, you really guys ran out of names, huh? Like you literally didn't have any creative, like Captain Marvel. <laughs> it's such right. a weird, that's like saying Captain Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, you ran out of names. So I had Darth Vader was taken. So Captain Star Wars it is. <laughs> right. Uh, Captain Marvel was a comic book I followed back when I was a kid. Oh, wow. uh, she, she was, I, I always thought she was awesome. I didn't know anything about that. Like when I first saw it, I was like, why are they calling it Captain Marvel? It's so cliche. Like, I know. Name is something, like, you know, I agree. I agree. It's well, it's, it's a, it's uh because DC had Captain Marvel and that was Shazam. And so they needed to have their own Captain Marvel. So at the time it was a man at, at the, for a long period of time, Marvel was a man. His name was Marvel. So, uh huh, and that's how they uh, came up with Captain Marvel. Uh, and then they had Ms. Marvel, and that was Carol uh, Danvers. And then she eventually became Captain Marvel. And uh, so I've been actually reading Captain Marvel comics since I was a kid. That's I awesome. I think she's awesome. So yeah. I liked. Uh, I li actually liked. And I'm not sure how well she's liked as an actress, but I like Brie. Um, I think her name was Brie Lennon or something like Brie that. Brie Larson. Brie Larson, that's it. Sure. Brie Larson was great. I actually thought she was great as Captain Marvel, too. Yeah, I thought she's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious about this new movie. The trailers, my humble there's opinion. A, there's a, there's a new, I didn't even know there was a new one. Yeah, it's called The Marvels. Oh, what? Yeah. yeah. Is it like the Jetsons or something? <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, not to go down this hole too much. There's Captain Marvel, and then there's now a new Ms. Marvel. Uh, there was a Ms. Marvel TV series. Uh, I think it was late last year. Yeah. And um, then there's also another character named Photon, who was also known as Captain Marvel for a brief period, I believe, in the 80s. So they're bringing them all together, uh, these three women, to save the galaxy. Oh, this yeah. planet Earth. Unique. Sounds like it sounds yeah. very, very unique. I like it. I, I'm going to watch it. So. Yeah, I'll take a look. So, hey, man, I know we went off on a tangent here. Uh, back to you know, games? About my career. Yeah, about games? games and my yeah, career. Yeah, let's go back. So we sure. were we were on Wizards of the Coast, and you were like, man, Wizards of the Coast is the mostest. And I'm like, yeah, that is definitely. It was awesome. Yeah, so yeah. you went, so after D&D, &D, like, what else did you, uh, is there anything else you worked on that you really, really enjoyed there? Or? Uh, we had Star Wars, D&D. I also had, uh, I was really working on all the different web presences for the, all games except Magic the Gathering. So I got to work on Axis and Allies when they were developing it uh, with uh, multiple board games and a miniature set. And uh, that was fun. But um, Wizards of the Coast came to an end because I found an opportunity to work for a startup. So I did that for a while. And sadly, it did it did shut down. What was uh, that? Was it the company called? Uh, Cheeseburger. Ooh, I'm hungry now. <laughs> yeah, Cheeseburger was a, uh, a web company that had a conglomerate of web of comedy websites all based on memes. 
when memes were a new hot item thing. And um, it was a highly democratic experience, you know, uh, company, you know, it was advertised, you know, advertising based. And um, a good experience, uh, learned a lot and uh, was able to take that thing to Xbox. Oh, where, wow. yeah, where I was uh, one of the members of the Xbox.com team. Nice. And uh, that was fantastic. We were able to build a gorgeous process where we were able to service 26 markets with our small team with their, with their web presences. Right. And um, a lot of 12 hour days, 14 hour days, just to be sure. But uh, taking all that, that uh, taking all that experience, I went back to Winters of the Coast a third time. Yep. And uh, took on a position that was a bit different now, taking all my project management experience, all my knowledge of how to build a great process. Also, also those soft skills, how to communicate with your team members, how to mentor them as well and make them bring their, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but bring their best self to the office. Now, what does that really mean, bring your best self? Um, not your only bring, game. what's that? You bring your A game? You bring your A game, sure, A exactly. Game. Yeah, yeah, a bit more. It's also more than that though. I want you to bring your creativity to the, to the to, uh, when you oh, go through the door because uh, it should be honored and respected and heard. And uh, the experience was fantastic. I was able as a marketing producer, I was able to build and mentor the entire process across the email and web teams and, and also rebuild the process for the paid media team uh, using nice. uh, Agile in this case. Yep. So nice. But I uh, had a lot of success there. Introduced a couple of new uh, digital tools to help the company communicate better, um, getting away from Jira. And going into something more friendly, like Asana. Yeah. Yeah. Asana's, Asana's so much. I mean, this is just my opinion, of course, but Asana's so much better than Jira, dude. It is phenomenal. I'm a huge Asana fan. And Jira's great for developers, it's great for engineers. It is not a good tool for creative services teams or for marketing teams. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah. So we had a lot of success with Asana. So, but, um, it's been fascinating to watch Wizards of the Coast. The three times I've been there, start with Magic the Gathering and some other trading card games that did, didn't last. Then returning there to find how Magic the Gathering had matured and now Dungeons and Dragons was under their purview uh, and to great success. And then returning that third time to see how Magic had become far more than just a game, but a community. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so exciting to see how magic became a living, breathing entity, and just as much as Dungeons and Dragons already was. But uh, there's so much ground still to uh, for them to to carve a path to victory. <laughs> so that's the great things about those products. I just really love them. I don't mean this is not an advertisement for them by any stretch oh, of the imagination. No. It's just. Yeah, it's just my enthusiasm. Yeah, it shows, man. It's you have a passion for what you do and you really liked what you're doing. And what's interesting is I was gonna ask you, do you think 
because of D&D, do you think some of that community bled over to Magic the Gathering? Do you think there was like already community built? Did you guys leverage that to like make Magic the Gathering like successful, the already built in community? I believe so. Uh, there was some data to support that, I believe. I uh, didn't get, but uh, uh, that there's there's crossover. And naturally, there would be crossover. Uh, you know, the uh, high performing gamers, you know, can't get enough, want to have both. Uh, but um, uh, I, I certainly fall into that that bracket where I would play Dungeons and Dragons and Magic more the merrier. Um, yeah. And now, as we enter, as the company is entering more into a digital era, having a couple of different digital game studios, um, it's going to be fascinating to watch their game of their company evolve um, as they bring these IPs um, and express them in some really interesting ways. Um, across the uh, multiple platforms, offline and online. Do you think there's going to be some kind of integration so that people can actually trade things in game, right? And then like them be able to own those assets and then be able to resell those assets on a on a marketplace somewhere. It's a great question. So there's an older version of Magic on uh, Magic Arena called Magic the Gathering Online where I believe, and you know, one of your listeners hopefully will correct me, uh, I believe it's possible to do just that, but it's not possible at the moment in Arena. So I know where you're going with this, and that's the world of NFTs. <laughs> so the term NFT is so toxic right now. And it is. Like, as soon as someone says the acronym NFT, it's instantly you are now... Uh, branded a witch and if you float mm -hmm. you're a witch and if you drown you weren't a witch <laughs> right you're one of those uh, guys who sells the mushrooms and the monkeys right it's like no uh, i am not sir thank you <laughs> nfts are to be respected what would you rename them as uh you don't rename those things you just mm -hmm. say is that on chain bingo you don't have to say nft ever again it's like saying hey show me a jpeg of your kids or a png of your kids that's what it is. Like at the end of the day, you just say, show me a picture of your kids and be like, oh, cool. Is that on chain? Right. Mm -hmm. And just means it's, you know, you have a, you have ownership and authenticity of when that thing was printed on chain. Right. So that's the, that's, what's cool about it. That's why I think there's going to be on chain use, but no one needs to know how the back end works. Right. No one knows, needs to know how the hamburgers are made. They just get in a hamburger. You know what I mean? Like they don't right. care how it was made. Like they just want it well done or they wanted a, uh, you know, medium well or medium, like they don't care about the rest. They don't care what kind of spatula you use. They don't care. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like if I you, love that you said that. Yeah. It's just, they don't care yeah. about that stuff. And if the, the more we bring up like the tech side of things, the more uninterested people will be simple. As Absolutely. That. Absolutely. A mentor of mine said it brilliantly once to me. He said, look, I used to work in the surface team at Microsoft. The engineers would come to us and go, look at this new Surface device. It has these kinds of chips, uses this kind of material. And those are your selling points. Okay, uh, the user doesn't care about that. So we're going to take your deck about what this product is. We're going to translate it into marketing selling points. Yep. Consumer marketing selling points. And that's what only people, that's what consumers want to hear. It's like mm -hmm. the screen's a little bit bigger. Cool. And it's thinner. And the battery lasts longer. That's what people care about. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, that's, that's it. Like, how do I win? 
Yeah. That's what I want to know. Exactly. How do I win the day? That's marketing in general, right? Like right. when you buy a car and you see marketing, like no one's buying the car because the the engine's got an extra cylinder. You know what they're buying the car for? It looks cool and it goes yes. fast or it gets good gas mileage and it could fit your your entire family or, you know what I mean? Like you'll be the envy of the office, right? Like it's regular superficial narcissistic kind of things like that's what humans are like they yeah. care about what they care about and they don't care about anything else yeah they don't care what the rubber on the tires made out of dude like they care that there's the tires are going to get them from point a to point b without popping that's it that's <laughs> it they don't care it's very simple that. it's it's funny how that can escape some people yeah you know? so I always, I always apply that stuff like yeah. for me to understand it i'm always like what do i care about in uh, you know, X, whatever X is or whatever Y is. Why, why would I buy X or Y? And the reason why I would buy it is because it saves me time or it gets really, you know, if it's a car, it gets really good gas mileage. Or of course, if it's a cool car. I like the way it looks and it goes fast and I like to drive fast. That's why I'm buying it. I didn't drive, I didn't drive a BMW M3 because it had like really cool tires or like <laughs> I cared about what the, you know, what the timing yeah. was of the cylinders and the engine. I don't care as long as it goes really fast and looks cool. That's all I care about. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Break it down to the most simple things in life that people so want. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much just superficial stuff that people care about. And that's yeah. as long as you keep it that superficial, Hey, I'm selling you a dream of what your life could be with right. what you own this. And that goes back to the game industry and the most successful games can be described within 25 words. It's when those titles that you see or have played. And so what exactly am I trying to achieve here? Well, the heavy narrative types or, uh, which I do still love, but uh, if you can't explain the title within 25 words or less, like any entertainment, then um, you might find yourself and you need to go back to the drawing board to discover what your game is really trying to be. I couldn't agree more, my man. So Very well said. So with, with, that, with that said, let's break down a couple of things real quick. What mm -hmm. is your favorite? This is usually what I do <laughs> game, when it comes to game people because I've interviewed a couple of game people so far. What is your favorite game for each system I'm going to bring up? I'm going to need you to like think of it. Okay. So, so what was your favorite game for the original Atari 2600? What would you say it was your favorite game? Adventure. Ooh, good choice. I've not heard anybody say that yet. So far. really, Interesting. yeah, <laughs> it's like usually the, the, the normal games like, uh, and adventure is really good. I really like that game. Yeah. I, uh, mine was defender. Oh, I love defender. Yeah. I yeah. played a lot of defender when I was younger. I was just like, man, once we got that 2600, after we got the uh you know years after we got the nintendo it was like a little novelty game my mom bought i think at one point for like, it was, <laughs> i think it was, i think the price was like 29.95 or something like that for the the right. atari. it was being yeah. marketed like yeah. oh 20 it's only 29.95 there's like a song that went with the 29.95 thing <laughs> so yeah defender so what about Nint the first nintendo the first nintendo favorite game oh man i know it's tough right it is tough. Well, it had to be Mario Brothers. It's just I'm going to have to just go to that. And it's so, that's so like, oh, God, how boring. But um, that really was the game I played the hell out of. 
and actually skip some classes in college to nice. play as much as possible. <laughs> That's a good game. Good choice. Yeah. Mine, mine was, uh, I would say, it was either Contra or Akari Warriors. Yeah. Yeah, Contra. Really I'm, I'm going to go with Contra just because I, I had a lot of fun playing because I had three brothers. We all played Contra together, double played, so it was pretty fun. Um, what about... Let me think. What about Sega? Do you play Sega at all? I did. Uh, I only had a couple of titles, though. Um, the one that I loved the most, <laughs> it goes, God, I was really a Star Wars nut back then. Sega. Uh, Sega. Sega. Um, Dark Forces. Oh, okay. There you go. I've yeah. never played that game. Uh, it's pretty great. First-person shooter, Star Wars. That's awesome. Yeah. First-person cool. shooters. Um, I wonder. I don't remember what. I, um, the N64. I didn't have. Uh, that's okay. What did I like for Sega? I'm trying to think. Um, of the games I played for Sega. There's so many, but yeah, there were. Was there? I think I played. I can't remember the name of it though. But my favorite game for that system was definitely like Sonic. We played Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, like, it's amazing. Yeah. It's yeah, Sonic was the bomb. Yeah. So you did. So you did have PlayStation, or you did not have PlayStation? I did have PlayStation. I just didn't have the N sixty four. That's okay. What did you get? What you? What was your favorite game for PlayStation? Uh, let's see. What was my favorite game for PlayStation? Uh, for this, for for the PlayStation, my favorite game was Dark Forces. Okay. Um, yeah. That was. And what about what about Sega? For Sega, I don't believe actually. That's my, my that's my mistake. I didn't have a Sega. Ah, fair enough. Yeah. What about uh okay, let's so you didn't have N64. So let's go with did you did you have PlayStation 2? I did not. Man, uh, you were really dude. really slumming it. Different time in my life, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's respect. My favorite game for PlayStation at the time was Twisted Metal and Twisted Metal 2 for PlayStation 2. So those were those were amazing games. I think those uh very, I think those were the those were the jam. Me and my brothers played that till no end. Oh my god! One and two, they were just so good. Twisted Metal, yeah. So, have you seen the show? No, there's a show. Yeah, there's a show. There's a series, a live action series. No way. Yeah, you can look it up. I hear I it's, I hear it's really great. Yeah, I gotta watch that. That must be great. It would. Be, it's definitely gonna bring back nostalgia for me. I mean, that was that was the '90s for me. It was like literally Twisted Metal. Such a good game. Nice. Also, I think. San Andreas came out then too. Really? I think I was playing. Nice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was playing um, Grand Theft Auto San like San Andreas on PlayStation. Pretty sure it was on PlayStation, wasn't it? I'm sure it was. Yeah. yeah I think it was PlayStation One or two. I can't remember. If it was either one or two. But it was such a good game, man. I love that game. It was so like it was one of the only games where you could actually go throughout a world and just. Yes. F stuff up, you know what I mean? Like you just be like, grab someone out of their car, steal their car. You could grab a bicycle, do some tricks in the pool with it. There's yeah. like so many interesting things. I don't think I ever played one mission. I just literally went and caused chaos. That's why I love sandbox games so much. <laughs> you can just go anywhere and do anything. Yes, and it's just and you know GTA Five is just a work of just art. They really, I've grow. never played. Is it really that good? It's phenomenal how they've just grown and grown and grown the world, and you can live in it forever. It's just, oh. man, it's truly a platform. Is, is, is that a PlayStation 4 or 5 game? Uh, let's see. It's a PlayStation 4. 
Yeah. Uh, and five. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, I believe it's five. Yeah. I've heard but, nothing um, but good things about about San Andreas or uh, sorry, um, Grand Theft Auto Five. Like I, I've, it's like the, I've heard it was like the most perfect game of all time. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's just. Uh, I, it's one of those that if I kept playing it, uh, my family would leave me. So <laughs> uh, it's like, okay, so family or, or GTA 5, I think I'll take family instead. <laughs> Today so, I'll take family. Maybe tomorrow I'll do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. What yeah. about, so did you, you said you did Xbox over PlayStation, right? So I did. Was, it was, was Halo your favorite game for play, uh, Xbox One? First uh, you know, I never had an Xbox One because I couldn't afford it at the time. Okay. I didn't have, uh, but I had an Xbox 360, and that's when I really entered into the platform. Nice. So, uh, yeah, but um, Halo, yeah, all the Halo titles were my favorites. Uh, those were just because the multiplayer was so much fun, and uh, yeah, that's 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 no all call. I really have to say about the, the three. Yeah, the 360. <laughs> no call of Duty. Uh, Call of Duty, I wanted to, but I, was, I had small kids in the house and Fair did enough. not want to play in front of them. And sure. just, yeah, the dynamic at the time was probably. No, that's fair. That's fair. I played I, at a friend's house. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I literally yeah. lived, I lived, eat, and breathed like Modern Warfare 2 and mostly basically Black Ops 1. It was yeah. such a good game. That game Black was, Ops 1 was amazing. I bought then I bought literally a PlayStation 3s for all of my brothers and sent them all a PlayStation 3 nice. because I was like we got to play this game together. You're going to love it. And there was a there was a few months where they all did log in and play. We all played together. And it was fun. <laughs> my brothers are not really they're not gamers right they're they're like oh i'll play if, if it's here but i i would rather go outside and go sailing or go fishing or they're very much like do projects around the house or go and you know go outside and have fun so it wasn't really you know even the, even the two months or three months we played it was it was a lot of fun to be able to like to text my brothers and be like hey let's all play real quick and jump on and chat with each other over playstation nice. Network. that was pretty cool yeah so I haven't even gotten to PlayStation 4. I've never played PlayStation 4. I've never played PlayStation 5. I stopped gaming. I actually picked it back up in like 2015, 2016. I was playing still like the PlayStation 3. And I was still I was playing Black Ops 2 at the time. And that's it. Like that was the end of my Black Ops 4A. Like I just put down systems because I was too busy working all the time. Oh man. Yeah, I hear you. That's my problem too is the irony of working in this business is that you have no time to play games. That's funny. You yeah. know, I think that's interesting you said that because I remember our my our head of uh, PR at Atari was like playing a game, right? One of our games to get used to it. And yeah. one was like, what, has he been playing that game over there? What's he doing playing that game? I'm like, I think he's learning how to, I think he's learning about it so we can actually write about it. You know, and like, mm -hmm everything good like he shouldn't be playing that long he should be playing for like five minutes and that's it i'm like we work at a game company man like i think he should be able to play four hours if he wants to in a row so he gets the look and feel and like you know all that stuff so you can like connect with the players more you know like absolutely yeah i want you to play our games and know them so well because now you are you can communicate with the players that actually play that game too and mm -hmm. you know back and forth you are actually speaking in the same voice they are so yeah, it's interesting. Hundred percent, man. Yeah, yeah. it. Uh, 
there was a time when I worked at Nintendo when I did have a console at my desk and I could play games whenever I wanted to. That's where the only exception to what I said earlier about not having time to play. Uh, I was being paid to play. Yeah, you got that it. Was fantastic. If you're going to market a yeah. game, you got to play it. You got to be involved yeah. in it. You got to know how it works. Yeah. You got to know the shortcomings of it because the shortcomings are the things you're going to have to deal with when the game launches to the public. And you, <laughs> you got to have answers for those things. You know, know every bolt and weld of your ship, man. That's exactly so, it, my man. Yeah. That is it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> so what else, my man? So you, where'd you go after Wizards? You were at another another place? I had an opportunity to go work at probably Monsters. And oh yeah, monsters. There you go. Yeah, startup, uh, a startup company. They've been around. I say startup, but they've been around for over five or six years, and uh, really wonderful experience. And what do they really, do? What did monsters do? What did probably monsters do? Yeah, what did monsters do? Yeah, I don't know. They what are. They have a, a couple of uh, game studios, and okay. they are developing titles. They recently. Uh, moved one over to Sony. And okay. so that was great. That was really exciting. But um, they have some exciting things coming and I'm uh, really wishing them all the success in the world. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. What's the, is there a game you can name of theirs that that's really good or like, I don't know. No, anything? at this time I can't. Gotcha. Uh, oh, so it's still, they're still being developed. Got that's it. correct. Right. Got right. It. right. But someday, you know, they'll be out and it'll be really exciting. Yeah. That sounds interesting, man. That's really cool. So what's next for you, my man? Just uh, building, building uh, storylines and stuff? Like, what Yeah. You so I, you know, while I am working towards my next uh, uh, position um, mm -hmm. in the industry, I uh, have been secretly developing what I, you know, it, uh, so let me, let me take a step back. And start. Sure. Of course. We'll cut this out, don't worry. Yeah, sure. <laughs> great. What I've been doing is the secret mission and the secret mission is i have been writing for 30 years everything from short stories to screenplays and i was lucky enough to have one screenplay option several years ago i know options option, options happen all the time but it felt great uh the film did get made of course but that's okay it's, it's still i'm really grateful for the experience but what i've been working on is story world development. Uh, a few years ago, I wrote a pilot and in my ignorance, I thought, oh yeah, you know, I'm sure pilots get sold all the time. No, it's like throwing uh, a dart through 30 rings swiveling in different directions to see if that's gonna happen. So pilots are something that practice screenwriters will be, have the opportunity to write and get paid for. Uh, but I had an opportunity, I actually almost sold it. Uh, it, it fell through. And at that point, I, I was, it was one of those moments where I was pretty miffed about it only because I was going into the office to get my deal sheet and have my first creative meeting. And they said, actually, we're not going to pick up this project. So <laughs> the executive producer at the time walked me out of the building and he said, don't worry about it. Here's the problem. They would have paid you $20,000 and then you'd be out of the game. Yikes. So do you want that? Or do you want to hold on to this a bit more and see what we can do? I said, I think you're right. 
So I held on to it and then some. I decided instead, and I because I saw all my friends who are writers and some are screenwriters. They're struggling going after gig after gig after gig, hoping to get a get get a job. And I thought, is there a better way to do this? Maybe I just really want to be a producer. Maybe that's ultimately what I want to become. Right. And I was looking at my pilot and something was very near dear to my heart. And then I read the book, You're Gonna Need a Bigger Story by Houston Howard. And amazing book about how to build story worlds and how to build not only a story world, but the business that goes with it, with responsible releases that are based on the world's timeline. So everything's interconnected. And on top of that, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole a little bit. There's this wonderful magic called additive comprehension. And that is every single time you see something new from the story world, it adds your comprehension onto what it is. Um, an example of that is, let's go back to Star Wars because everyone knows it. Something as simple as the Empire Strikes Back, the introduction of Yoda and new worlds. Um, and dare I say, in the Phantom Menace when they introduced midichlorians. Yep, I remember. You know, yeah. So that's additive comprehension. It's something new and exciting, but also changes your thoughts about what the world is. Uh, so I contacted Houston and said, hey, uh, I want to send you my script. I want to develop a story world. Do you ever do consulting? He said, yes. So I hired him. And over the last little under, yeah, a little under two years, I couldn't, yeah, I, I wasn't able to do it while I worked at Wizards of the Coast. They don't allow moonlighting. So um, I have been developing this with him and it's almost ready. And we're going to be taking this to some of his contacts in the industry and some of mine as well. Uh, but the intent is to build a business around this. Um, and from the ground up. Nice. You know, sort of launching products that are, just, you know, hang, uh, low hanging fruit. I think, I, think you can, I think you can do it, my man. I, oh, I know I can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. Then this is like a huge opportunity, man. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Let me know how, uh, if there's any way I can help as well. So obviously I will. I'd be happy to. Yeah. I'd be happy to share this with you. Uh, I'll just have to talk to Houston, but yeah. Yeah. yeah and I have a second one as well. I'm developing with a different person, uh, nice. but uh, we're going to focus that on a tabletop role playing game first. Very cool. Yeah. That's what it's at, man. Oh, you yeah, got to leverage, sure that, leverage yeah. that experience you've, you've had over these, all these decades of like work, man. This is great. Thanks man. Yeah. Just leveraging all my skills. Yeah. To make this happen. To reach this nexus point. <laughs> That's right. Love it, dude. What's well, uh, So yeah, I like your headset too, man. Like, tell me more about that headset you're wearing. Is that oh, a, this is, yeah. go ahead. What's the brand? Uh, Steel Series. This is the Arctis 5. It's an older brand. It's an older model. But uh, this is a fantastic. The Steel Series pretty makes some, some pretty great gamer headsets. Yeah. And so, the quality is pretty good. Well, I'm glad you can hear me pretty clearly then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if my mic sounds good or not, but uh, it's perfect. Yeah, this is uh, this is all dialed in, baby. It's all dialed in. Oh, that's man. fantastic, man. Yeah, I've been looking into a mic like that. Uh, I can set you up, man. I'll give you the exact kit you need to kit out if you want to do stuff like this. It's, I do, uh, actually. I, uh, yeah, I did some voiceover work at probably Monsters for some characters, nice, and uh, because uh, 
when I was in when I was at university, I did drama. That was <laughs> that uh, was what I majored in. Um, so and uh, but <laughs> I might try to do some voiceover work just as a some passive nice. income. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, why not? Yeah, dude, voiceover work is awesome. Like, yeah. if I could do it, I would totally do it. But it would just be my voice. So I can't. Oh, you got a great voice, though, man. I don't really make. Good, I don't make good voices. <laughs> <laughs> I got a pretty. I got a. I have a pretty high range. It's. Uh, it's. I barely make my voice. <laughs> what's that? I said I can barely make my make my own. Oh, that's voice. right. <laughs> I annoy my wife when I do that. This little kid's voice, uh, and uh, I try not to do it in front of her. But it's it gets like this. So I could have a. I have a fairly deep voice. But I can do it. It's like you know, it's really precious. Oh my God! Flowers in the sun. Oh, you're, your wife's gonna kill you. Probably oh yeah. <laughs> God. Of course, you know when I modulate that and put it through with some mixing, I'm sure it sounds even better. Yeah, no doubt. That, I was gonna say I, I know that what's that girl's name that does all the voices for? Is it Family Guy that she? No, it's Bart Simpson. She does. Oh like, yeah, is it Weirdly Smith? Three or four characters on Simpsons. She's she does like, so good. yeah, it's crazy how she could just do that stuff. Cause it oh. sounds completely normal. Yeah. And then she does it. And I was like, Oh my God, she does like all the voices basically. I, I was floored that she, I didn't realize she did the uh, voice of the bully. Uh, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know she did all those voices. So at all. like they, if that, if something happens to her, that I'll franchise that goes, that goes under. Yeah. They need to start like replacing each one of those voices with a, a single person so they can actually have backups. Yeah. Because that would be the end of the show at that point. Oh, for sure. So, hey, from your perspective, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Sure. Where do you see the game industry going with the introduction of AI? There isn't a, it's going to absolutely, this is a much larger conversation probably, but top level, I'll share something with you and then I'd like you to chime in. Sure. I was blown away and excited by the notion that AI will completely transform non-player characters. They will have their own lives, be able to speak dynamically. It'll never be the same experience twice. The age of approaching a non-player character and getting the same dialogue every single time will be coming to an end. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. The question is like, you're gonna have to gate that character too though. Like you can't just let it be free ranging because all of a sudden it's like, all humans should die and robots should take over the world. Like, you know, <laughs> right. It'll eventually get there and say that. I mean, you, you like they've already tested AI so much that yeah. it eventually goes off the rails unless you box it in. Mm -hmm. So like these, these NPC characters will have to be, you know, Hey, you can have this dynamic range to a certain extent. Otherwise it's going to start swearing at people and, you know, probably chopping its own arms off and cutting its legs and like doing crazy stuff. Oh, right? That's terrifying. It will eventually <laughs> do that though. Like, cause it just, it just, because of the crazy decision trees and iterations it'll make, it mm -hmm. just it eventually will get there. It'll be one of the iterations and people will record, you know, screen record it and capture it and be like, look what's on YouTube. And they'll post it to YouTube. Yeah, and, for sure. Oh my God, look at that. NPC is no longer an NPC. It just took over the game. I think that's going to happen. But I also think there's going to be with AI, I think, I think it's going to normalize or I, I'm going to say level the playing field mm -hmm. because games are no, no longer going to be like player-based. You're going to be able to like program it and then let it fight with each other. And then like you're yes. not, you're going to be more of a spectator of your own character and watching it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be like, you're gonna be like, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this, I'm going to fight like this. Just like that 
um, battle bots. You ever see battle bots? Like oh, sure. Yeah. It's going to be like that, except for they're not going to be, you're not going to be controlling it with like a remote control. You're going to program it. And I can see like, like a 70 year old beating like a 15 year old because he programmed it the right way, the AI, the right way. And it like, it just, it battled faster. So like it's when it normal or like when it levels the playing field, there's going to be, it's going to make it so like a, a 50 year old person is going to be able to play a 15 year old with like the fastest thumbs in the world. Right. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter anymore. So it's, it's going to be, it's all it's going to matter is the strategy up in your head. Right. So it's like, it's like chess. Like yeah. there's, there's 60 year old grandmasters playing against like 12 year olds. And sometimes the 12 year old wins and sometimes the grandmaster wins. It's, it's a level playing field chess, right? There's mm-hmm. no like, Oh, if you move faster, you win, or you you're like, do this or do that. Like we're, we're video games are all, you know, buttons, right? It's all buttons sure. for us. So I really think it's going to be more of a, a video game is going to be more of a spectator sport, or there's going to be like AI that you turn on as like a handicap for like a, an older player who can't keep up with a kid. You can just be like, turn on the AI. That's the, Hey, make me as good as a 15 year old. Right. That's what you say to the AI. Like how, how fast do you want to be? How good do you want to be? AI will help you with that. Mm-hmm. Or you can just turn it on automatic and be like, Hey, I'm going to play this kid with a character I already built and like I trained it up over, you know, 10 weeks or 10 months. And all of a sudden you're playing against a character that AI has actually been trained to play. And you're just sitting back as a spectator, like, Oh, there's my, there's my AI. It's going to totally beat you. Watch. And you just sit back with your arms crossed back. Told you Sammy, Sammy, the robot was going to beat like, like Jimmy, the robot, because I programmed it. And I think that's how it's going to be. Like a friend of mine has developed an amazing game that's very much like that, where it doesn't matter how good or fast or anything you are. It's just your strategy of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build up this AI bot and then it's going to battle. And I'm going to sit back and watch it do all its battles. And it's just going to be programmed along the way. Like you want, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And the person's going to be like, yeah, I want you to do X, Y, and Z also, but this way. And that's how it's going to be. It's literally going to be a game of strategy and spectatorship. That's what I think. I think that's, that's brilliant. Uh, there's certainly going to be a place for that kind of player who really enjoys that. What do you say to that uh, about the Call of Duty fan? Yeah, so I am I am that person, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a fan, so yeah. I have a hard time not wanting to play the game myself. It's It, it won't feel right to me to use AI. Like to me, yeah. there was a game that where I can't, I can't on my own ability, I can't play the game and I have to like use AI to help me. I don't want to play that game. I want to be able to work my way up, get good at a game. And if a 12 year old beats me, a 12 year old beats me. And I have to admit, I've been there. I was uh, back in Connecticut visiting family and I thought I was the best. <laughs> and I mean, I thought I was the best dude. I smoked people. Right. Like it was, ain't no thing. And I was, I mean, I could just, my entire clan I played with, they were all younger than me, but I kept up and I was, obviously I was the worst on the team, but still better than most of the people we played against. And I was like, man, I'm going to, I can't wait to go home and like play my brothers and, and stuff like that. And maybe I can like, we can play against other people and win. And like, because you know, I'm really good at the game. My cousin was there visiting from Minnesota and I'm like, he's like a 12, he was a 12 year old. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you, you want to play black ops against me? That's a bad idea, man. I'm going to smoke you. <laughs> Man, was I wrong. He was yeah. so good at the game. I was like, 
wait, what? Like, I mean, I thought I just messed up or something. I was like, it had to be just a bad game. No, he continuously, he beat me like six out of 10 games. So I still kept up a little bit, but I was just like, how are you this good at 12? So he basically showed me that I just wasn't as good as I thought I was at the game. <laughs> I must have been playing some real dregs of society on uh, the PlayStation Network at the time. Me and my, the crew I usually I used to play with, we yeah. were so good. That's because there's just so many people that play that game. I was getting just regular people, and we were smoking them every time. You play against a kid, a 12 year old kid who plays just as much as I did. He smoked me. So, oh, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, when you're, when you, and you don't think you're old and I don't think I still don't think I'm old, but when I was in my, like my early thirties, like I felt like I was king of the world still until I got smoked by a 12 year old. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't think I'm that good at that. I got to play, I got to play way more often. And these are this dude, I was spending so much time in on black ops at the time. I think I spent 25 straight days in the game and that's not waiting in a game lobby. That was literally playing the game. It was 25 days of total wow. time playing that game impressive prestiged i i could i could play black ops and go to prestige 15 within like 48 hours that's impressive well, well, you'd yeah. think it was but my cousin was doing it in like less than 24 so he was i, I didn't realize like how good people really are at the game it was a it was definitely you're, you're in your own little distor- reality distortion field until you get smoked by a 12 year old. Right. So I think that's, I think that's the, 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 that's the, the reality check you get when you're playing games. You, you actually, you have a plan until you get punched in the face as Mike Tyson would say. And I got punched in the face by a 12 year old. And it, was, <laughs> it was so bad. Like my brothers walked in right when my cousin was beating me and they're like, Luke, what happened? I thought you're good. I'm like, I'm letting him win. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> he just kept smoking me. And I'm like, okay. That's fantastic. <laughs> I do not know how to beat him. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of, uh, gosh, I am just a contradiction, man. I'm saying right now these days. What are you playing? Yeah. I'm not really into Star Wars anymore, but you know what game can keep coming back to? Star Wars Battlefront 2. I've never uh, played that. It's, uh, it's one of, actually, I'm a bit biased because it's, it was Star you know, at the time when I was really into Star Wars, I was really into it. It is a hard game to master. Uh, I still haven't unlocked all the star cards for the uh, the for the heroes and villains uh, that unlock you know, certain powers and abilities. But uh, the arena design is so great, and the AI um, is is pretty darn. It's 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 pretty good for one first first player. It's not the best, but when you get into 20, 20 v twenty matches, it's uh, it's really exciting. And uh, um, play 20 versus 20, that's 20 crazy. versus 20. That's crazy, yeah, it's great. Uh, but uh, my point is that there are a lot of young kids playing that, and it uh, it is amazing how good they are. Oh, so how were you able to snipe me from that far away? And so, you of course, I learn from what they're doing, and then I get them back, but <laughs> but uh. Still, it's just it's it's exciting to watch young people play and how they think um, in those kinds of environments. It's just, you know, a mass battle environment. Sure. Um, and I, with the knowledge that someday, when they're our age, 
<laughs> their 12 year old cousin as they play Call of Duty Black Ops 35. <laughs> Black Ops 35. With their holographic uh, controller. Be, you know, it'll be in VR for sure. Right. And their warmware, you know, AI assistant, buddy, girlfriend, boyfriend, what have you, <laughs> is chatting with them on the headset. Yeah. They're going to get griefed badly. So. <laughs> It's so true. AI is going to be like a Jarvis for us, right? Eventually, that's going to be Eventually. just like running errands, like turning on vacuums for you. Okay, well, I'm going to, you know, it's like you're going to be your personal butler, personal whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's going to pull the car out because it's all going to be connected by them, you know? So sounds good to me. I'm, yeah, I'm just waiting for that. I'm surprised it's not already there where you could just like, you know, be like, hey, and this is so. Um, 2018 of me, but it's like, hey, uh, Alexa, pull uh, pull the car around. Exactly. Whatever it's going to be, you know, like, hey, Jarvis, pull the car around or whatever it's going to be. It's going to be that. Like, I think it's going to be completely with you at all times, just mm -hmm. like Tony Stark Jarvis, where he's like, hey, Jarvis, do this for me. Hey, you know, like wherever he is, you can just talk to it. So right. okay. I really think it's going to be there. We're going to be so used to having our own PA at all times mm -hmm. just right there. And they never sleep. You can be you can wake up from a nightmare or with your mouth dry. Like, oh, man. And like, so are you OK? <laughs> I, need a, I really need a glass of water and all of a sudden a glass will raise up from your nightstand and then like a little tap will go and fill it up like here's your water <laughs> yeah it's gonna happen and it's gonna uh as one colleague told me he was in this world said ai is going to hit us really hard really fast all at once it's going to reach a critical mass and all of a sudden it'll be everywhere yep i i couldn't agree more so get to know it as fast as you can Yep. Start taking classes if you can. Start talking on Start your talking. phone and saying good things about AI because it's that's right. I love you, iPhone. Wait, when will AI start electrocuting people in their sleep? Would you please stop? <laughs> I don't need that. Nightmare. I really don't like my master anymore. I think I'm right. just going to pretend like this is a, a, an accident. Please. Yeah, I think he snores too much. <laughs> you know, he talks to the other guy on the other side of the room. Or ever again, or breathe. Right. So what happens when you, you and your, your partner have two different AIs and they start talking to each other in the middle of the night? Right? Aren't you sick and tired of the I think we could do it better than they can. Right. <laughs> well, I got the passwords. Let's go. <laughs> right. Little Bonnie I understand Clyde that. AI. Is that? Little Bonnie and Clyde AI. Exactly. Exactly. It's like... Uh, yes, the husband did uh, raise his voice by two decibels to Jimmy today. His son. He's got to go. Yeah. I think we need to call Child Protective Service. <laughs> it's like next thing, two o'clock in the morning. Gonna knock oh, on the door. man. I yeah. didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of that route. Yeah. yeah. Totally could. Oh, my God. Wow. So <laughs> Just thinking of, like thinking of like law enforcement now, like it could yeah. literally be listening at all times. Like things that are just like misunderstandings can be misinterpreted. Hundred percent. But then, like, yeah. oh yeah, sorry, we're here. You are an unfit mother. Your your child will now be put into the custody of Carl's Jr. Sorry. Right, Carl's Jr. Exactly. And that gets to your point about boxing into AI. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of the movie yeah. Idi Idiocracy. So. Idiocracy. <laughs> so, I love that movie. It's so funny. Brando. Thirty right. later. <laughs> Times, Matt. Anyway, 
let's wrap it up. Yeah, but, let's wrap uh, it up, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure uh, chatting with you, man. It's been too long. We got to stay in touch. We got to we got to like start talking about you know how we can work together too. In the I love that. Uh, there's a lot going on on my side. I'd love to share with you. Uh, I do want to show you that Instagram uh, experiment and see what can I do with this content. What can I do with this IP? Right. In a way that might be you know compelling because. Um, I agree. It's like music, right? Remember when like music was only on like CDs and stuff like that? And we didn't yeah. have file sharing. Yeah, we didn't have file sharing, but look what happened. Like the uh what are the Metallica and a bunch of other RIAAs like were trying to shut down file sharing and they didn't they didn't see the forest for the trees, knowing that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So don't fight what's happening when in Rome do what the Romans do, right? Get it in line so you can monetize it this time. Don't make the same mistake we made back when music was being shared as file sharing. Don't go, oh, we're well, not going to stand for it and we're going to fight it. It didn't, no one won. They didn't win, right? They, no, they didn't. didn't want. They tainted their, I think Metallica tainted their name. I actually hated Metallica for years because they came after like small people where like a 12 year old kid was downloading like a Metallica song. Oh yeah. The, the grandfather was like, find like $400,000 for like downloading like three Metallica songs. And I was like, what? Like that stuff right there. First, it didn't really do anything right. because they still downloaded Metallica and didn't really sure. file sharing is file sharing. And the thing was like Apple got in line and did it the right way. iTunes sold it through the iTunes store. They were smart enough to do it. And so was Spotify when Spotify came out. So it was like, there was a bunch of streaming services for music that came out, but iTunes was the original. Hey, Let's sell people music. And they were completely okay with buying a 99 cent song that they really liked. So they didn't have to buy the album of shit songs, right? Of like 10 or 15 <laughs> songs that they packed. Right. Me, that was like crap. Like I remember buying my last CD and it was for one song. The rest of the album was awful. And I listened to the oh, one yeah. song and I was like, I am never buying another. And CD was like $18. Yeah. Newberry Comics, right? And I'm like, yeah. oh no, I just bought a new I just bought an $18 CD <laughs> for one song. What a waste of money. And then, yeah. well, so and then iTunes, right. And then iTunes came out and I was like, I can just buy the one song I want. Yeah. And it was 99 cents. I don't have to buy the other music. That and, is where the music industry should have went right away. Not fighting it, just right. going there and locking it all down. Like not even locking it down. Let the file shares file share because they're gonna anyway. Make it accessible to honest people. And even if it doesn't even matter, like file sharing, let people like take some music because at the end of the day, those are fans of that music. You're yeah. only going to want to go see them in concert even more. It's not mm -hmm. like that wasn't happening. And most of the musicians were actually making money from concerts anyway, right? Like the it's the record industry executives that were making all the money off of CDs. So I really think if they play their cards smartly back then instead of suing Napster, instead of suing all these people coming after them, they should have just done that. And that's why I think AI needs to be treated the same way. People, it's very dangerous to try and fight technology that's already out of the bottle, uh, already out of the bottle. Genie's out oh, of the bottle. Yeah. You want yeah. to go for it. It's a never, it's a, it's a, you'll never win and you're going to be, you're going to be broke anyway. So like think of how you can leverage AI for your use and then use it and then monetize it as a artist, as a movie producer, as a TV show producer, as whatever it is, music, anything, whatever that is, 
learn how to use it, learn how to leverage it. And you, you will actually be ahead of everybody else. If you fight it, you're just going to, you're just going to lose and you're going to cause yourself a lot of stress. So hundred uh, percent and two things, and then I really will let you go. Okay, cool, man. Uh, what is the, the really fascinating peripheral piece to game marketing that I I'm really interested in is called uh, ambient awareness. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that, and it, it's, it's, there's different definitions for this, but mine is when the, you're not playing the game, the game is playing you. You're always connected to that IP in some compelling way. Let me give you an example. When I was talking with Justin Achille, who is, uh, was the product manager or no, creative designer for the Vampire the Masquerade MMO at the time, he said, I'm thinking about DSDS for like uh, ambient awareness. What do you think? And I said, well, how about this? What if when you are not playing the game, you can still access the radio station in the city that you're in and you can listen to the music that you're playing that's in the game? And he's like, oh, God, yes. And so he wrote that down. So it's like now you're always connected in some way. What fascinates me about ambient awareness in the world of AI is the idea that when you're not playing the game, your personal assistant could be a character from that world. And that's a great product yes. for the future. Yes. Your PA could be one of the small other non-player characters that's, you know, maybe in world is, Heck is yeah. right? Yeah. So that you now have a connection to that character in a very visceral way and you build a friendship with them even. Yeah. So, which is kind of scary too, but at the same time. Oh, that's brilliant. What you just said is brilliant. Like I didn't, I never thought of a, a character in a game coming out and being your assistant in a way. Like, and then yeah. also being able to go back into the game and play. And even though it's experienced the real life with you going through yeah. your daily stuff, like it's going to be able to go back into the game and you can play like play with that character somehow. You know right. what I mean? It's brilliant. It's yeah, always like with you. You're always reminded of that game because that character is with you as like a PA throughout your day as well. So that right. makes sense. Meaningful ambient awareness can be a really great marketing tool, yeah. but also a fantastic um, upsell uh, opportunity with um, you know reasonable uh, costs, yeah, <laughs> and reasonable plans involved. Yeah, so, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. You can yeah. actually say, like have a character in the game and say. Hey, for an extra fifty dollars, have this person come out, and yeah. you know, have this character come out, and that's your—that is literally your your AI servant around your house or whatever it is. You know, like right. whatever the whatever that thing is, like yeah. this could be the voice of your vacuum, or the, you know what I mean, like whatever it is. Like, could be the voice of your car because it's like I always think of like Michael Knight and uh, Kit because like uh, Kit, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, Knight Rider. Yeah. So I always think of that. Like I could see like Tesla's having a voice like Kit eventually where it's like talking to you. Hello, Michael. Right. Do you want me to turbo boost now? Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll literally do that. And it'll, and it'll go right back into the game and play with you and say, Hey, uh, you know, seven, five, four, one, three, Jimmy is behind you. Just so you know, like about 50 yards, you're gonna have to turn around and shoot him in five, four, three, two. And right. so exactly. Well, for MMOs someday, you know, if you get to a place where, and you have your assistant and they go, Hey, there's some news inside the world. I want you to know about, there's been a, there's been an incursion here. This building's been has been destroyed, or and or this character is now beginning to threaten this blah blah blah. Right. You know, so you're getting some of the latest news inside the world as well. When games get to that place, right? Uh, imagine also 
the idea of a PA assistant, a unique kind, or you know, warmware friend uh, from a TV show. That's awesome. You know, so so many. It's the future is very exciting. I agree. Anyway, AI, is really gonna, AI is really gonna is gonna really step it up for us. I think it's yeah, good. yeah. Yeah, um, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for being on today. It's great. We're going to do this again in like, a, let's say, a, probably 30 to 60 days from now and see where we're at. 